Alright. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back, everybody. <laughs> Alright. We're good? Yes. Am I loud enough? I guess. Welcome, everyone, to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. We're streaming live to us, but it's, it's recorded to you. Uh, from our original new old headquarters and I have our original and new guest Nathan. Hi Nathan. It's me again. Hello. Wow. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just, Good? Yeah. yeah. This office just has some energy. It just brings it all back. Yeah. And a little wind and I love both of those things. So I thought that the fan would actually be a bigger issue than it wound up being. Okay. Uh, at least when I was listening back to the episodes even though it clearly shows up on the audio feed as just like constant background noise, I didn't really notice it. I think it's just because our audio quality isn't sufficiently good enough to distinguish that there's a fan in the background. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all right. Maybe the product stands up to its name. Maybe the feed is clean. Yeah, maybe. Plug. That's what we're using, That's for those using, who don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, if the trend continues, we'll have about 14 or 12 or 14 listeners to this episode in the first week after it releases as double digits. Uh, wow. So yeah, if you're listening to this, and uh, also go back and answer the poll on the last episode. Now oh you answered yes. the poll. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. It was so cool. I put the poll in to see if anyone used it. I thought about answering it myself, uh, but then I figured I would log into Anchor forgetting I did it and get excited and then see my uh, crappy answer and be like, oh yeah, that was just me. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. Spoiler. It's alert. only Spotify, right? There's no yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, but that's how I listen to podcasts. Is on Spotify. Yeah. Google Podcasts. I oh. used to. Oh. Uh, the thing I thing I do. Actually, I don't even know if this is true anymore. I used to miss the feature that I think I got from Google Podcasts, where it was like automatic downloads whenever a new episodes out. Uh, but at this point, I hand select so many of the podcasts I listen to, uh, or by episode. It's like, I don't want to listen to every single Lex Friedman episode that he puts out because there's just too many. And there's only so many four to seven and a half hour podcasts I can listen to in a week. Uh, so <laughs> it's a full-time job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, between that and uh, all the other ones I'm subscribed to, uh, it's actually better that they don't all download. So I no longer miss that feature, but I used to. But that was the only thing I missed in Spotify. And uh, it's working great. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the feature I really liked on Google that uh, I no longer like as much is it auto-deletes downloaded episodes past a certain point. And I'm like, I downloaded this episode willingly. I was going to listen to it at some point. Or even if not, this is episode I like going back to. Uh-huh. Don't delete it. I, I like it offline sitting there. It's just like, no, every certain X amount of... like. If I finish listening to it, sure, clean it up. But I purposefully, once I finish listening, always scroll it somewhere in the middle so it's marked as like pending. Uh -huh. And uh, nope, it just goes in and it's like, nah, you're not listening to this, man. This, it's been a while. I'm like, maybe you've been busy, maybe I have a life. It's like, nah, phone storage too valuable. <laughs> so bye. And yeah. Huh. Now, I, I also keep some old episodes around, just like the, the classics, listen to them every once in a while. Um, if I need something to listen to, but I don't want to think, I was like, oh, I remember liking this episode. I'll put that on. Yeah, View versus Angular versus no. Direct. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not listening to any of ours. <laughs> uh, but no, there's some old uh, Listen Money Matters episodes that I'll listen to occasionally. 
because uh, they're very casual and it's just easy to throw on. If I feel like I need some something going on in my ears without it being as engaging as music or as thought-provoking as something I haven't heard before. But, uh, yeah, anyway. We've already started uh, complaining. Automatic, so. <laughs> yeah, automatically cleaning up podcasts you still want sounds pretty frustrating. <laughs> so, <laughs> what else have you got for uh, the last two weeks since I was away last week? Yeah, uh, another... I'll just while we're on the frustrating. I'll sure. Yeah. Just keep on that. keep the frustration train rolling. Yeah. Oof. So long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole episode, folks. It's just <laughs> me ranting. Um, but Duolingo updated their app. Oh no. And it's got this new like train look where before it was so much easier because things took less space on the screen and you could follow through sections. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it had this wonderful thing where a scale would apparently have a little crack on it. Yes. So I could go back and earn more points and do a refresher. That no longer happens. And everything is in a weird, like, n- yeah, train-ish UI. Oh. It, oh. Yeah. Yeah, like, I just I just pulled this up because uh, yes. I hadn't seen it before. For, for those listening who don't have uh, visual hints as to what's going on. Yeah. So I really dislike this. Uh-huh. I can't go and revisit the lessons for the crack and extra points. I just have to do it for my own learning, which is stupid because I'm not motivated by that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now doing anything where you need the legendary requires eight uh, levels as opposed to four like before. So if I've mastered a skill to get to the legendary level, I have to now spend 800 gems as opposed to 400 gems before to get that look, the purple look. I don't even know what that means. Oh, you know, if you're like then you can do that. You could go through the legendary skills oh. where it just turns purple. And I like purple more than gold, so I, I like doing that. Um, oh. But I no longer can do that because 100 gems takes a lot of ads to collect, and I'm not paying for premium anytime soon. I see. Uh, so all this makes me think of, because I, I, I don't even know if they had this when I stopped using Duolingo. But this just makes me think of Skyrim because you can make skills legendary. Wow. It's the opposite, though. You don't have to cash in stuff. You make a skill legendary, and then you get the skill points back so you can reinvest them. This is the opposite. You're like, hey, here's some gems. Make it purple. Yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, it's really just like, yeah, microtransaction of your gems for a new skin. Yep. Crazy. Wow. And then once you run out of gems, they'll be like, hey, do you want premium? Because then you have unlimited tries. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. Or you finish a lesson and they're like, here's five gems. I'm like, cool. So I need to do like 20 lessons to like earn back what I just spent on one lesson. Huh. Um, and the worst part about those legendary things is the words don't have dotted under, underneath. So you can't look up certain words that you've forgotten. Uh-huh. And if you get three wrong, all your 100 gems are gone. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's real bad. Uh, I would have preferred if they just didn't take away your gems until you won, and then they're like, sure. But no, they penalize you for that, and I am just not happy with it so far. <laughs> um, I get that it makes legendary seem more like a big deal, like you really mastered it, but Duolingo is too punitive. Like the way that you, if you mistype something, or if you have autocorrect, which I've had before as an issue when I was doing a lot of French. Where it's like, this word is similar to an English word, and then it automatically corrects it. Or, or, or if I just mistype something, because I use like the wrong accent above a letter, 
and it's like 99.8% of the sentence was correct, but you get a slash one way versus the other. And even if I knew, it's just like a typo. Like I have English typos all the time. But they're like, that's 100% wrong now. Yeah. Uh, well, no. But <laughs> yep. That's uh, rough. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, especially the ones where it's like audio and you listen to the audio and you type something. And the first time it said Julia, I ty typed it with the H. Uh, later to discover that that was Julia to be spelled by a J and that was my spelling mistake that oh. they penalized me on. I was like my grammar was right, my Espanol was right, uh -huh. uh, but it's no, just the name. Julia and Julia screwed me over. I see. Uh, so yeah, things like that, but you know, I can't complain too much or the dual owl will break into my house at night and you know, Spanish or vanish as they say. Yep. So I'm gonna stop talking about that and talk about happy things. Great. Uh, so one thing I found interesting uh, was, so last episode I mentioned I'm starting to investigate chaos engineering. Yeah. And I have implemented my first pass of it in our service stack. Okay. Uh, which just goes in, deletes 10% of the stack, and says, all right, go ahead and recover. <laughs> Let's see if you can. Um, Bet you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great because I don't have to do any of the recovery. That's the service team's responsibility. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> and it's really cool. It has a whole bunch of, it's, it's a glorified plugin wrapper around the AWS CLI, uh, which is quite nice because I don't want to orchestrate a bunch of AWS EC2 describe instances, choose one at random or 10 at random and then delete them. It does that for me. And it has a bunch of built-in scripts. So and random instances, I can do like CPU stressing or memory stressing, uh, introduce random latency delays. And if any of the pre-made tool doesn't work for you, they just give you a SSM plugin to run arbitrary scripts on your instances that you want. So overall, very cool. Uh, really impressed with it so far. And it has some random arbitrary limits on how many instances it can like do things on. So if your fleet is really big, like 2,000 instances and such, you might have a problem hitting like 10% of that. Right. Uh, but yeah, if you're a normal, any medium-sized company, um, unless you have just have like 200 T2 micros or something, if you're smart enough and had five C5X largest or something to do the same workload, uh, then you're fine. Then you use the tool and it no, works no, no. great. Free tier. <laughs> <laughs> Free tier always, yeah. Uh, yeah, a million instances, why not? Um, on in different accounts so you have one account with a t2 micro you have 100 accounts with another t2 micros yeah that's what load balance that's what aws organizations is for exactly yeah. wow yeah smart smart <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then e that way you know each traffic billing for it separately and collectively from the organization's dashboard that's right i was about to say that yeah. wow wow cool. Um, yeah, so learned it, learned about it. FIS, the Fault Injection Service, uh, really cool. Would recommend go look at it. Go destroy your infrastructure because who needs stability these days? That's a service on AWS. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They they just offer it. They're just like, yeah, man, go go What's it crazy. Called? FIS, Fault Injection Service. All right, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I mean, nobody's gonna want me to do this, but I at <laughs> least want to know about it so I can take a look at it. Yes. Fault injection service all yeah. right yeah would recommend uh use the code do better 10 for a discount uh, <laughs> if you can find where to add it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um and then my final happy slash good recommendation i don't think it's 
necessarily wholesome, but I did like it. Okay. Um, Notion uh, wrote a blog post about how they scaled their uh, Postgres databases, and uh, the title was something around herding elephants uh, on yeah scaling their Postgres fleet, and I it was very well written. It had lots of explanations, and uh, I just it was one of those blog posts I read through, and I was like. Everything made sense to me. I actually enjoyed it, and I'm happy they did it. Hmm. So, it was just the right amount of length, content, everything. It was good, good stuff. So, I'll, well, I'll remember to send it to Nathan so I can add it to the show notes. <laughs> I didn't uh, add anything to the show notes so far this season. So, how yeah. are people going to know about your wholesome recommendations? Uh, well. I guess they're just going to have to listen to what I say. That's true. Yeah, the yeah. words in my mouth. Uh, but yeah, the herding elephants thing was really cool. It made me investigate a lot more about like service meshes, how sharding people think about in different scenarios. Because I always thought of sharding as like, all right, just take in a range of uh, user IDs, put them in a database, or do it region-based or locality-based, mm -hmm. just something really high-level. But they, they were more like, okay, this is how we define our logical workspaces to be. And then it made me think more about, okay, different business cases might need a different ways of sharding. Uh, which, yeah, I mean, it adds a lot more complexity to your application layer. But, you know, hire better devs if it's that much of a problem. Because <laughs> it's the only way to scale relational databases at some point. Uh -huh. Yeah, because they were just like, yeah, we, we had a C524 Excel or something on RDS. <laughs> And vacuum started hitting its limits. Whoa! Uh, and they're like, yeah, this at, at one point it became inevitable, and people noticed the difference right away, where everything was fast. And yes, it costed a decent amount to just keep scaling vertically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were happy about it. They wrote a good article about it, and they did some trade-offs on like, oh, this and that. And the most amazing part about all of this was they had a five-minute downtime while they did an entire migration of database fleet. Wow. Uh, I mean, most of it was done already. They were just uh -huh. playing catch up, but still, it's quite impressive yeah, uh, wild. to do that, something like that, instead of taking the site down for like an a, a day or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Enjoyed that, would recommend uh, reading through it. And, uh, oh yeah, and the funny one, uh, S4, was it? Or yeah, S5, <laughs> S4, remember. yeah. S4. Uh, so good. Write only database uh, <laughs> for improving your storage. Um, I actually learned about it because within the S3 team, they know of it as a joke thing. Someone was asking if they can somehow parallelize fetching a bunch of files from S3 uh, without using the CLI because the CLI seems to have limits and is slow. So people just dropped in the comment section. Everyone apparently knew about this inside joke. And I was like, yes, S4, S4 CMD. And someone came in and was like, you should really use S5. They've done a lot more improvement with Web 2.0 or something. Um, and yeah, it was just hilarious to look through it. Um, so yeah, if you're building a large-scale data lake that you never need to read from, look into S4. <laughs> it's like it's like the dope coin, basically. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that a lot of people probably could because they could do like, yeah, this is where we put our logging, which we never read. <laughs> Because uh, that's how most logging is actually treated, at least at the companies I've worked at. Yeah. Log it and then never read it. Yeah, it, it might as well be slash dev null, but it's now it's a cloud service and you can pay for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so yeah, those were mine. Uh, 
tell us your wild adventures. You've been gone for a whole week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did yeah. you see? Are you a different person well, now? No, well, I hung out I hung out with some cats and some chickens and uh, some people that I'm related to. Wow. So, yeah. Not the cats and chickens. No, well, okay. some, peop- some people get weird about, like, yeah, this, these animals are part of the family. So, like, to that extent, I guess I'm technically related to those okay. other uh, creatures. But, yeah, it's my brother's chickens. He has a cat, dog. My mom had my mom got a new cat while I was there, wow. so I got to be present for the very first day that this and well the fun part of this this is not in my list originally but it is fun I guess uh, totally unrelated to development but uh, my mom already had a cat and she's had this cat for four or five years and then she got another cat and you're supposed to have like a super young cat because cats are more uh, open to kittens than they are to other cats but this cat was only like two a year or two younger than her current cat but this other cat was very well socialized because it had been at the humane society for a while i see so this new cat didn't care at all she was just chilling uh and my mom's been watching all these videos uh i guess if you wanted to watch this i I didn't have a wholesome recommendation ready and i need to be honest i have not watched these videos i find it hard to believe they're not wholesome okay given that my mom really enjoys them, but she was studying how to introduce cats to each other because she didn't want her cat to fight with this new cat. Of course. And so on YouTube, she was watching videos from this guy named Jackson Galaxy, who is a like cat behavior specialist of or something. And uh, anyway, she was raving about it. So that's, that's my informal, impromptu, wholesome recommendation. But anyway, uh, we were all excited to watch, well, I was excited, she was nervous, to watch them interact, because we're like, hopefully they don't fight, but it would be funny if they like really just did something interesting. But uh, no, she just walked out, started exploring the house, was immediately comfortable, and uh, the other cat, uh, he was just like super freaked out, ran away, and then over the course of the next day or two, uh, worked up the courage to approach her, but then would get spooked and run away. And eventually, they just walked up and touched noses, and then they were fine. Wow. So, yeah. I wonder if people did that. It'd be so cool. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just when I meet someone new, I sprint to it, which is pretty close to what I do yeah. anyway. Just find the nearest corner or wall to yeah. run against. And then by the end of the party, you just touch noses with them. I don't do that part. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the secret. Uh, but anyway, I do have some other things that I actually have written down for the cool, mm-hmm. interesting, frustrating bits. So, uh, Interesting. I have a recurring interest in video game design. I play almost no video games. I just play the same, like, three. And, uh, (laughs) but I really find it interesting how video games are designed, more so than developed. I am not super interested in the uh, specifics of, like, game engines and things as far as, like, implementation details. But at a high level, uh, I enjoy learning about these things. So there's a YouTube channel uh, that I watched a lot of while I was visiting my family called Game Maker's Toolkit. And he talks about all sorts of stuff. Like one of the interesting ones was the different kinds of randomness. So he talks about input randomness and output randomness, uh, how players tend to feel about different ones, one feeling more fair, one feeling less fair. Uh, talks about balancing. And so he talks about like uh, weapons and symmetric balancing and asymmetric uh, balancing game economies, uh, all sorts of things. So anyway, really interesting channel. Uh, 
I enjoy it and it's well presented. He's been doing it for years. I think I've watched him in the past and forgotten about it. And then YouTube's like, hey, you want to watch this? It sounds interesting. So that's been fun and interesting. Uh, this other one, I've been keeping a, it's related, I've been keeping a close eye on Unreal Engine 5 because it's a big deal. It's a whole new engine. And obviously I'm keeping an eye on it because they're talking about rebuilding Rocket League in Unreal Engine 5. Yeah. So I gotta know what's going on. But no, realistically, it's the lighting and, and uh, performance improvements are insane. But there's a new release that I learned about last week of Unreal Engine 5.1. So it's a point one, like a minor version release. And they completely removed the need for load on distance, which is insane because that's been around forever. So hmm. for context, that's where they have like uh, every um, resource in a game is a bunch of polygons. And then they'll have different levels of detail for which is what LED stands for, uh, for different distances. So the closer it is, the more polygons, the more detailed. But then you get like in a game like Skyrim, pop in. So as you run along, the foliage like pops in and then trees, they go from looking flat to looking like actual trees and they get more detailed and it looks very ugly. Uh, but with, I think it's called Nanite, uh, they've got this massively improved performance on how this behaves and they did updates to lighting and reflections. That's remarkable. Uh, so I will put a link to the specific video I watched in the show notes for this episode. Whoa. Yeah, because I'm saying like watch this video on Unreal Engine 5.1 is not specific enough. Mm -hmm. But this one was I don't think too long and it was really good. And the thing that blew my mind of all the things was the recommended max environment size for Unreal Engine 4 was if I remember correctly 22 square kilometers. The recommended maximum size for a for Unreal Engine 5 is like 88,000 square kilometers. Wow. And I think it might have been larger, it might have been million, but I think it's a, I think it's 1000, but regardless of how many zeros enormous increase yeah. in size that's the point uh tremendously uh huge so uh very cool stuff and i'm curious to see what happens with it the level of detail on everything and the realism is just quite something so anyway i enjoyed it now uh we were talking about this right before the show Th there's a class of errors in 2022 <laughs> that I think uh, should no longer be a, a it's a solved problem in, in this day and age which is undefined is not a function cannot access property of undefined these sorts of things because in a world where we have such mature uh, libraries with TypeScript support these problems are effectively solved and so a couple days ago yesterday something like that we had a uh, issue in production where someone had their application just crash because it was trying to access properties of undefined. And I was a TypeScript hater a couple of years ago, and then it took me like six months to be sold on it because admittedly, TypeScript is all just kind of like a, a 
lipstick on a pig sort of layer over top of JavaScript. Like the types aren't really real. Nothing actually runs in TypeScript at runtime. It's all JavaScript. It's just like compile time. Uh, you can basically lie to TypeScript at any point you want. You make up the types. JavaScript's almost always working with external services that if you tell it the wrong shape of the JSON response, it doesn't know. It's just going to fail anyway. But for so many things, it turns out after using this for a year, year and a half, whatever it was, it was, it was a long time at my previous company, we just didn't have undefined is not a function, cannot access property of undefined, like the basic standard JavaScript type errors that cause problems. So this is my hot take. Using JavaScript, if, you're, if you are an actual business, an actual company serving actual customers, using JavaScript untyped in production is an anti-pattern Wow. And you just shouldn't do it. At least have at least use something. It doesn't necessarily have to be TypeScript. That seems like the most mature uh, solution to me right now. But I know there's a lot of other compiled to JavaScript um, source codes. Uh, I know Elm that nobody uses is really popular as far as like people who like functional programming. But like nobody actually uses it. So does it matter? I don't know. There's all these uh, like. <laughs> Python script or whatever, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the various things that target um, WASM, which is WebAssembly. Uh, so there are alternatives, but at the very least, like turn up the strictness on TypeScript and just use it. And you, you do write better code because you end up writing your types out and you have to actually think about things. Some of the nicest reducers I've written in JavaScript were largely written because they use TypeScript. It was like, here, you can write a nice state machine that is not like a complicated state machine, but this would be hard to think about if you didn't just be able to go like jump to type definition. Oh, here are the actions that can be taken in this view, and this is the change in state that results. Like these things are very convenient. They're like you should just use them. If you haven't used mm -hmm. if you haven't used types and you're writing a even moderately sized JavaScript application that serves actual people, just don't use vanilla JavaScript anymore. Don't pretend you're using prop types. You're not. You're definitely not using prop types. You have the package imported because you started your application with Create React App and you're not using them. Also, they suck. So don't use them. But if you are, you're not using them anyway. So just use TypeScript. Yeah. Or just quit your job, uh, log off all your credentials, and just go home. Sure. Yeah. But if you're not going to quit your job, or if you are going to quit your job, actually, let's go that way. If you are going to quit your job and you're thinking about getting a new job, mm -hmm. there are a lot of different jobs you could consider, which yeah. is what we're going to talk about <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> uh, so, so we were trying to figure out what we were going to discuss, and I think this will be a few different episodes. But this first one is sort of a high level, or at least what I'm imagining, is a high level discussion of different roles and responsibilities, different parts of the stack. And I was thinking about this because I've moved through a few of them over the last few years, and it's been a good way of staying interested in software development, how to continue learning. But also, I, I don't actually know this person. I was going to say I know someone who, but that's not true. My sister knows someone who is trying to get into software development. And it reminded me of how difficult it is, even though I still knew this conceptually, how difficult it is to even know remotely what you're supposed to learn uh, if you're trying to be self-taught. 
So this person was looking into like SEO. I'm like, yeah, you don't, nobody cares about uh, SEO. Don't waste your time. He's like learning React and he's learning SEO. I'm like, no, don't, don't worry about it. So what I thought we'd do is go through a high level discussion of like, what are some of the different um, roles and responsibilities, parts of the stack. And then in future episodes, we might dig into them a bit more specifically and say like, here are some of the specific, specific technologies you might want to learn. Uh, if you're already a developer and you want to move into this space, here are some things to consider. Here are some of the uh, ways you might be able to pick that up in your day-to-day -day job. But basically, so you're not completely flying blind, if you're like, that sounds interesting to me, I'd like to learn that. A rough path, because there's a lot of videos about that, but they're immediately outdated, so we may as well make our own immediately outdated one. Heck yeah. Yeah, boy. Yeah. So, uh, I guess we'll just get started with them. So the first one that I have here, types of roles or part of the stack, is the jack of all trades slash one man show, which is basically, if you are either starting a company or you're the one developer slash web person at a company, then yeah, you just have to learn stuff and it doesn't really matter. So there's not too much to say about it other than like, whatever the requirement is, uh, start doing it. And what I would say, my two cents, is don't, uh, if you are this person, you're trying to get like experience or whatever, probably just, just use a website builder and just try to actually be like more useful to the company. If like if they're hiring you or whatever as a contractor, don't go trying to design a website when you've never designed a website and build it in React when you've never built a website in React and host it when you've never hosted. Just like get something up and start learning things. And if maybe you can work, if you're working with WordPress or something, maybe you start trying to work with plugins and figure out how they work. Maybe you add Google Analytics for the first time. Uh, you're learning how to work with JavaScript and CSS and HTML. You're learning how these systems integrate. But yeah, don't, don't waste this company. If you're the only one there, don't waste all their time and money uh, trying to do everything from scratch because all these problems are solved, especially yeah. at the level that you're currently at. So Yeah, and yeah. a lot of these don't require because these aren't applications. These are just um, view-only or informative things when companies are starting off. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just use something that already can put things together and your job is just to make sure it is there because who knows if the company has to go through even worse more cutoffs you might be the first one to go <laughs> and it would be nice if you can give the business hey here's a wordpress site that's easier to edit than here's my entire react js thing which doesn't use props uh, <laughs> have fun editing this yeah yeah i do so i mentioned the seo thing right the one of the benefits of using a service like WordPress is that there's a lot of SEO baked into those tools already. You're not trying to figure out how to, for example, pre-render your React app so that the, bo uh, the web scrapers like it and that it's indexed properly. Those things will just work. Yeah. And if you need to make tweaks, then you can make tweaks. Uh, if you're using something like Squarespace, yeah. then... Sponsor us. <laughs> then you can go into, if you're... You know, I would probably uh, toy with this on your own first, um, but uh, Squarespace does have free ones that you just can't publish or make public or something, uh, and they just give you a like a fake domain. So what you can do in, in there is go into, it might still be called developer mode, and then you can make tweaks. So you can override CSS, you can inject things into headers. Um, they have the headers, I think, 
without developer mode, but they used to have it locked behind that. You can start tinkering with things in the template. So if you need to make small changes, uh, then you're able to. And so that's a, a way of being like, here's a website, it's already working, the shop is already working, you want to figure out how to integrate with Stripe or whatever to do it yourself. Uh, yeah, you don't want to be doing that. It's already going to have SEO. WordPress apparently has better SEO than a lot of Squarespace sites. Every Squarespace site looks like a Squarespace site, but it's fine. Nobody cares. Yeah. It's, it's just a website. And yeah, if you're trying to build a shop or something, maybe use a service like Shopify. Use something that's already built. Don't do it yourself. Uh, be useful, I think, is what I'm trying to say. And if you're already someone who knows a lot of stuff, then you don't need to listen to us. You already know, and you're probably gonna either use one of the tools you already know about, or whatever. Yeah. And or get your confirmation bias on this episode. That's right. But uh, I will say is, if you're building a personal website, feel free to do whatever you want. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. Like, you can use a uh, static website generator. Uh, I think we both use Gatsby. Yeah. Uh, so Gatsby and I use Hugo for yeah. something. Yeah, uh, I've, I haven't used Hugo in a long time, but uh, it was super speedy for the compilation times. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're doing a quick development, that's nice. Uh, and then something like that is useful if you're trying to get started and you're the only person uh, working on this thing, but it's your thing. You can experiment with whatever you want. But keeping it, again, keeping it simple, being like, all right, I'm going to generate a static website and we're going to host it on S3. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Sh shout out to Adam. <laughs> He's not listening. Yeah. He'll never hear about this. But not. Adam, respects. You know mm -hmm. what's up. Putting on S3. Yeah. And if you want to be like even cheaper, throw it on a GitHub. Your GitHub. Right. And then create a <laughs> CNAME entry on your domain. Don't even pay for S3. <laughs> Don't even pay for CDNs because GitHub handles that. Just pay for your Route 53, add a CNAME, done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something I did when I was... Uh, trying to like play around with CSS and, and whatnot. You can also use things like CodePen or whatever, but mm -hmm. uh, I had basically like, I'm gonna build websites. I didn't need to make them public or anything. It was just like, I'm just gonna make a code base and figure out how to do a bunch of dynamic stuff with CSS when I was very heavy front end. And if you have those websites and you wanna show somebody, you can, or you can just like, uh, basically like you said, add a record. So I had, um, it was probably nwcalvink.com at that point, but that was like my quote-unquote portfolio website. But then everything else was just like nwcalvink.com and then like slash website one, slash uh, this other thing. And it was like, eh, this works. It's a whole separate website. It's just a, a web app. And um, yeah, just don't learn on somebody else's dime, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because they'll be annoyed. And if uh, you might be one of the 75 to 88% that gets let go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too yeah. soon. Too soon. Uh, Not by the time this comes out. No. No, because they'll be gone. Uh, the next one. So I'm basically going to move through sort of a sliding scale as, as far as I see them. So the next up would be a, these are like actual specific roles. So graphic designer and or marketer plus developer. So this is more like someone who is doing UI UX type of work and then also does some web development. And so with this, uh, again, high level type stuff, this is someone who, if you like designing user interfaces, you like designing websites, or you like the idea of it, and you'd like to get into it, you can spend 
a good chunk of your time doing mock-ups and uh, being interested in doing something like user feedback research and user testing and watching heat maps of how people use your stuff mm -hmm. and then designing things but then you also have some ability to implement that it might be building component libraries or whatever depending on how big your company is uh, but you basically are primarily focused on the experience and the look and the feel and you can contribute to development the next part of that sliding scale would be someone who's primarily focused on development and so that would be the quote-unquote like front-end developer so all the people that slide in my LinkedIn DMs and say we want a front-end developer that's what they're talking about someone who wants them to like actually build the web app yeah and I mean a lot of those then yeah there's a, they're like branching roles right you could you could then limit yourself or change if you enjoy the UI UX a lot more you can be like a whatever you do the designer work you do the Figma and but if you have some of the more HTML CSS background and ideas then you can make your developers life a little bit easier when you give them these mockups because everyone loves a little bit of a hybrid person mm -hmm. um, because yeah as someone who's done front-end development but had no idea how designs worked uh, or colors were if someone gave me a nice little Figma template I was like great I can build this yeah but if someone came to me and I was like can you build this to be beautiful and everything I'd be like no this will, this will be a counter that increments <laughs> using a database and it'll be blazingly fast <laughs> but yeah I will not be making this pretty uh, yeah, it's a difference the, between a wireframe and a high-res mock-up like, exactly that's that's what we're talking here yeah and that in that scenario I really like appreciated someone who actually could take like a design and give me a design palette mm -hmm. uh, and if they had previous examples um, honestly I I would really love if at some point we just had Figma to React converters or uh, create website to Figma templates. Uh, I feel like at least one of those directional tools already must exist by now. Oh, they've existed for like a couple decades. What? Yeah, not Figma specifically, but they usually made incomprehensible, unmaintainable code. But it could be done. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What about the other way? So I take a website. I'm like, this looks pretty. I make Figma templates, change the color, so it's uh, no longer trademark. Oh. I was just going to say, yeah, if you're trying to move it the other way, you just command shift five and oh, no, no, no. screenshot. No, no. Need a, need a proper editable template. I see. So I can change the font style and stuff and just be like, yeah, this is my app. I see. MyApp.js. Well, you used to be able to do that basically, well, kind of, with, uh, you know, view raw source. That's true. View yeah. source. And <laughs> now it's just root and then a ton of. Uh, Google Analytics type headers. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But yeah, do do enjoy those kind of people who have that skill set. Uh, but yeah, if you then want to get into front end development, if you enjoy the styling and stuff, but or you could go on the other side where you have done the design stuff. So now that when you're building the front end website, and some designer gives you an animation that's impossible to create in CSS, you can go back to them and say, I'm not doing this. Uh, I know it looks pretty, I know UX designers hate the uh, front-end developers when they make impossible animations. <laughs> uh, I guess it's the same, the same struggle architects and engineers yes. have, yes. Uh, where they're like, yeah, here, build this spaghetti bridge, and they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but, but yeah, I think that's the next good logical separation of, yeah, you're a person who can build Squarespace or tooling websites to your person who can now add extra functionality and customize websites in addition to designing them.
Yeah. And then the other side of that, like if you're not on the design side, you're more on the marketing side, being comfortable enough with what a website is to be able to add things like your Google Analytics plugins, like your, uh, if you need to add a link to some sort of, or integration to some sort of CMS. If you have some idea of what you're doing, that can take those little menial tasks off of the dev team, which is nice. It's not going to be a big deal for them, most likely, uh, but it is a, uh, a nice thing when the marketing team can be more independent. Uh, so that can be a way, or if you are a marketer and you're looking to get into development, you can start learning a little bit of stuff here and there and be like, okay, cool, I see now how these two things talk to each other. Uh, and if that seems interesting to you, then you can pursue it. And if you're like, actually, I hate everything about this, then you know, maybe not worth it taking 30 hours to learn a front-end course or yeah. whatever on Udemy. Yeah. So. And I also want to preface this by saying a lot of people have this weird barrier in their head that design, marketing, and such is different from coding because coding apparently requires like weird left brain analytical <laughs> stuff. And I'm here to tell you, I've worked with a lot of people uh, who do not have that analytical brain and they can code. Um, and, and I can count myself as someone who doesn't have any creativity in him uh, and I can <laughs> code. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's the, I think the barrier from going to having a brain that can like analyze patterns and code and stuff to designing something is harder than if you were already good at creativity and stuff coming into tech because yeah coding is not that hard as people make it sound like oh this is so cool or engineering or hard as two people who are much better at uh problem solving than we are being creative not we're, we're not biased or anything yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's definitely harder going the other way <laughs> yeah <laughs> no what we do is easy trust me yeah super easy yeah <laughs> barely an inconvenience <laughs> so uh yeah anyway point is that is another area and to highlight again to be clear the point of this is to run through these different things and see what sounds interesting. Uh, if maybe you didn't know, for example, that these sorts of roles do exist in companies and that people appreciate it, uh, or what sort of things you might be interested in learning if you like the sound of these sorts of roles. Uh, so a front-end developer, specifically, uh, just high level again, this tends to be someone who is given mock-ups implements them, they need to work, they need to be performant, they need to work with a team of other developers, they're primarily focused on being a developer. Uh, it's a lot about just um, pulling data from somewhere and showing it on a screen and making buttons that do the things that the product owner and designer want them to do and drop downs that render properly on different screens. Uh, so small screens, big screens, wide, they need to be dynamic. Uh, they need to be performant, they need to have state that works, they need to obviously use TypeScript and not JavaScript. Uh, then the obvious things that happen in front-end development. Uh, and the pair with that is the back-end developer. So this is someone who's, if we're being, if we're isolating these as completely separate, this is someone that's typically providing the data that the front-end developer is then ingesting and showing in the uh, user interface. So whatever that user interface is. So this would be someone who's maintaining APIs or I have uh, as part of that like basic database schemas. So you can go further into the database side with someone if you're like a database administrator or something like that. 
I'm saying like if you're just maintaining the structure of your data and then providing it to external sources or internal sources, uh, the typical way, the standard way would be APIs, which are just a representative layer for accessing data. So you might say like at the user's endpoint, you will get users. If you provide users slash an identifier for that user, you will get a specific user. And then in relational data, you can typically then fetch related things for that user. Uh, you can usually filter on them, these sorts of things. And oftentimes APIs are used to provide data to a user interface. Sometimes they're provided directly. So if you have a, if your service is sort of ending at the API level and people just consume the API, you're working directly with customers that way. Otherwise, you're often working more with your fellow developers. And so a typical uh, workflow in that case, because uh, I was mostly backend uh, for a period of time at least when we were working together, uh, was we had the front-end dev, primary front-end dev, mm -hmm. and I would just say like, here's an example JSON response I'm gonna give you. Does this have everything you need? Uh, she would say yes or no, and I would go and try to build an API that would give her that data, and she would take the JSON and be like, mock, here's my mock, I'm now going to build the user interface, the website, assuming that this data comes in, and then we can both independently merge our PRs whenever they're ready, uh, once assuming the back end one goes in first, or it's behind a feature flag or something on the front end, and then it should quote unquote just work because the contract that JSON response was predetermined. So uh, if you're working uh, in clearly defined front end back end, which is not super common, but does happen, that's roughly where the line would be when the data passing occurs. Yeah. And the concerns I would say tend to be more along the lines of uh, data integrity, uh, performance, and that things, I don't know, work, but it's mostly data, data level stuff. You don't have to worry about whether it's pretty. There's no CSS on your server. Uh, so it's nice. Yeah, and I think at that point, it's important for both the front end and the back end people to know the common contract protocol that they're following. So if they're following REST, it's important that both parties understand how to interact with the server API so that they can better architect the application. So from a front-end pers perspective, you want to know that, yes, I can do like put path, you know, put post, get, delete, whatever the operations are, as opposed to if you were just like, oh, I just hit, I guess, some API endpoint and do something, uh, it'll be harder for you to then start incorporating that in your app as you write your reducers or as you write your network action calls uh, because yeah if you understand the structure then you can create that handshake model properly yeah, um, yeah as opposed to then trying to go to your back-end person and say can I have an endpoint that says give me all the users uh, but I also pass in some sort of filter in the body and then it filters it through that it's like, no, 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 according to REST, you get everything, and then you can give me user ID, and I'll give you the user ID, or we build a different search filter endpoint or whatever. Um, so that'll help you at least architect your application better. Mm -hmm. Or if the backend person is just giving you random endpoints to get random data from, you can go snitch to the <laughs> solutions architect or senior leader or whatever and say, hey, this is not REST, this is not good. Uh, yeah. So yeah, important yeah. to have that. Yeah, yeah. So if you're working on the front end and are curious about getting to back end, that's a good way of starting. 
even if you aren't curious about getting into backend, having some knowledge of basic principles. Uh, data is in the database or the storage solution, whatever that storage layer is, and it needs to be represented in some sort of consistent and same way. And if you're familiar with what the patterns tend to look like, shockingly, this was like a debate when we worked together. Is like, no, these are collections. They have sub-collections. Why, why would we change? These should be consistent across endpoints. It's intuitive that way. Um, understanding how, like, yeah, API versioning is going to have to work, if there's going to be versioning or not. Uh, the principles are important to understand because you can write better endpoints, or sorry, you can write better applications for consuming those endpoints. And uh, to roughly paraphrase a guy I worked with at my previous company, uh, you don't do stupid stuff like list, like uh, doing a for each over every user and pulling a API request when you know how a REST endpoint works. You know that like, hey, I'm doing something wrong here. I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, and you don't then have the backend team complaining about you and saying, hey, uh, why on every load do you hit the API 500 times? It's like, well, that's how big the page size is. It's like, you don't, don't do that. Yeah. So understanding how these things work is important. And then if you want to move further back, like I said, you might be in more on the lines of like, okay, now we need some caching involved and we need some uh, like append only logs. How should we store those? We need some data that we probably don't need to access very often, but we should still keep it around. How do we want to store that for cost efficiency? We need things like um, search. How are we going to implement search? How many things should be searchable? Are we going to use, uh, what sort of database should we use? Should it be, yes, it should be uh, probably Postgres. But if you're going to do a bunch of searching, maybe you need something like Elasticsearch. Depends on what sort of things you're working with. But these sorts of questions then become the, the, you know, the mythical uh, junior full stack developer is never going to get to these because there is no junior full stack. You're bad at everything. So like at best you have intermediate full stack, but that's probably too far, I, I think. If, you, if you're an intermediate, you've got a few years experience and you're trying to broaden your knowledge base, it's like be good enough at front end to be a good intermediate front-end developer, and then be good enough at APIs and things, and database schemas, understanding how like lookup tables work, one-to-many, one-to-one, many-to-one, these sorts of relationships, how they work, how you might structure them and store them, uh, and how to communicate around those things, how to work with different people on your team. But if you're going to start getting either more senior, or if you want to be interested in specializing a bit more, then I think you can probably, or if you're just really, really smart or whatever, then you can probably start getting into like, all right, what are the pros and cons of different caching solutions, searching, the things I just mentioned. But uh, I wouldn't recommend going too broad uh, because then you're just bad at everything, like I said. Yeah. This is something I argued for years, so it's a bit of a, <laughs> a, a point that's top of mind all times. Yeah, it's just so hard to catch up on everything. Unless yeah. I guess, yeah, you are a freaking genius. Mm -hmm. Keep the mental context alive for React 16 while also Python 3.7 in your head fully. If you can, good, good for you, honestly, at that point. Yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you listening to this? Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> uh, so yeah, database administrator. I've never been one, but I was just putting that in there as like a role that exists. 
And so, uh, do you know anything about database administrators and what they actually do? I think they're more or less getting uh, eliminated at this point, or not eliminated. Because um, of cloud? Yeah. 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 A lot <laughs> of it, yeah, it's either getting like replaced or being part of uh, ops positions, infrastructure roles. Um, but in yield and days, uh -huh. uh, and I guess currently banking systems and <laughs> old old companies and governments. The COBOL train keeps rolling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the database, uh, a DBA is then in charge of making sure not only, they're, they're like very micromanaging when it comes to databases because that's their whole domain. Yeah. Uh, they want to make sure the table sizes are pre-calculated. They want to make sure that indexes are in the right place. Uh, their job is to make sure this database is not only healthy, but is serving traffic at a reasonable rate. Um, which sometimes I've seen the DBs then go a little overboard with their solutions because that's their specific purpose. Right. Uh, on things like certain al analysis and duplication, they start writing triggers because just because you can write code on the database, uh -huh. you should. No. Uh, but they, because they don't have the context of, okay, maybe the application team should be handling this or there should be a separate service, um, they're doing this all on the database itself. And that's where I think the role is like sort of getting phased out because a lot of things they used to do to make sure things were fine, like replication, restoring, backups, you go on RDS console and you click a button and it's done. Yeah, the backup is done. Automated backups, it. how long you want to store them for, it's all taken care of. Uh, I would say that one thing that at least at every company I've been at so far that's typically overlooked is, especially right now, the one I'm at currently, uh, is something like managing your indexes and making sure that your tables aren't bloating and making sure that your lookups are reasonable and that you're actually using the indexes that you've written and like that the database is healthy as far as like what users of the database would care about. Um, not so much like, yeah, the super micromanagey stuff, but the stuff that the application layer needs to care about for it to perform well, uh, that tends to be easy to neglect if you're on a a small team of mostly application level developers, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. Uh, but segues nicely into I've got DevOps and then operations slash infrastructure. I do think these are somewhat different. Uh, so mm -hmm. people will argue and bicker about what DevOps is, but I'll just say it's more of like the smooth line between uh, the development team and the deployed code running on infrastructure. So I would tend to say that it's the process of getting code from a developer's machine into production in front of people and whatever the process is for doing that. So it's a lot of things like CICD, your favorite, uh, Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, the old train that just never stops rolling. No, and nothing will replace it. Nothing can. <laughs> nothing can. And, uh, and so yeah, it's a lot of things about um, making sure that depending on the team, whether it might be responsible for things like code quality and test coverage and those sorts of things. But at a minimum, it's typically going to be about taking the code, these days bundling it up into some sort of Docker image, pushing it somewhere, and then deploying it somewhere. Uh, or at the very least, taking your React app, building it, and sending it on to S3, which is what my current blog does with one uh, GitHub action which, yeah, just logs into my AWS account and sends it up to S3, easy peasy. Send it. Just send it. <laughs> uh, so this one was something that I think is waning a bit in popularity, 
as a term, but it's still very important because you have to, someone has to be responsible uh, for getting the code or a team has to be responsible for getting application code running somewhere. Uh, but that blends into, as you'd expect, the operations slash infrastructure. So you've got the development team, which front end, back end, all that, that we just talked about, and then you've got operations. So DevOps is the bridge between the two, but operations tends to be more about the running system. So the infrastructure it runs on, the servers, the uh, database, the networking, whatever needs to be running to then make sure that there's an environment for the application code to execute and be available to whoever needs to be, it needs to be available to and not available to people who it shouldn't be. So yeah, not too much to say about that really. It's just like you typically these days, AWS, GCP, Azure, something. Uh, what was it called? Uh, OpenShift? Oh yeah, OpenShift. <laughs> uh, Best platform I've ever had. And so that'll just be a lot of, um, yeah, deploying stuff either manually or with infrastructure as code. Uh, you've told me about how great CDK is. I haven't got to use it. I've complained every week about how bad Pulumi is. Don't use it. Uh, but things like um, Terraform, things like, uh, I think Terraform's the main one, right? Think so. Infrastructure yeah. code? Yeah. yeah. Multi-cloud, cross-cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah uh, to quote a previous episode, roughly speaking, you don't need cross-cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think you need multi-cloud, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't. Yeah, you but don't. it's there. It's there. Yeah. It's the, I think like the line of DevOps-ish is sort of analogous to what the line for full-stack dev used to be, where it's like, they do sort of everything, but the responsibility can differ based on the infrastructure you're in. Because if you, you if your application is like small to mid-size and you're in a whatever company, you'll be the DevOps and the infrastructure guy. Because realistically, your job for the infrastructure is running a bunch of AWS commands and making sure things are fine. It's not like you're hosting self-hosted or on-prem hardware because yeah. At bigger companies, that that used to be the big distinction. Yeah. Where you had an ops team doing everything, and then you had the DevOps connecting the two, and you had the devs just pushing out application code. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, these days there's a whatever line that crosses over where yeah the devs sort of want their own little environment where the ops team might define slightly different production environment. That's where containers are great because you can just keep them as close, as similar as possible. But uh, but yeah, that's the bridge bridging gap where you have to like make sure you can do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, I have solutions architect. So this is like a higher level what? role of just someone who says, "All right, give me the information, give me the requirements, and I will give like a macro level." outline to the team of this is the end goal and uh, let's go implement it with these tools probably discuss it with the team on pros and cons different things you have to have a lot of context and uh, roughly speaking kind of where I'm heading and trying to get to because I think it's a good uh, alternative to just being a people manager uh, so that that is at least roughly speaking where my North Star is currently but uh, yeah, you mentioned Solutions Architect earlier. Do you have yeah. any 
specific description of what you see as a solutions architect? No, I mean, it's pretty much the thing you said, because at that point, you're basically like the C-suite of the tech sort of person. You're pretty close to whatever the CTO role would be, except that's more business and this is more tech. Uh-huh. And yeah, solution architect, that's, they basically, yeah, they'll come out, they're the whatever general or I don't know, higher level people in army who don't actually shoot anything. Uh, <laughs> they'll come back and they'll say, yeah, this is the big plan. This fits our cost. That fits our expectation. This is the cloud. And they won't come down to you and say, all right, this is how you should draw in line 56 in your Python application. <laughs> they'll yeah. just say, this is the transaction API. Go figure it out how to build it, how to interact with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they might also do other fun things like setting up uh, um, your SLAs. Uh, right. Yeah. Whatever your service level agreements are, the API needs to perform in three milliseconds. It needs to store this much data, um, and then when you are writing the code, then at least you can think about those things because, uh, yeah, if they come and say, yeah, this needs to perform under three milliseconds, and you write away like, I could write this in Python. You are wrong. <laughs> Don't do that. You can't. <laughs> Uh, so at that point, your solutions architect might come and say, you know, maybe I won't tell you how to write it, but maybe use Go or Rust if you're really, really hurting for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at that point, you can like start a dialogue on the pros and cons and the requirements and if you need gRPC versus HTTP for communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, that makes it's a bad example for gRPC or Rust. Yeah, so kind of like uh, translating um, business requirements into technical requirements, and then the team is responsible for implementing those technical requirements, but not in a specific level mandated by the solutions architect, if they're a good solutions architect. Yeah, and it's also funny that at each level, the output that you think is the technical artifact becomes business requirement for the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I can come back and say, all right, the technical output of this is build this gRPC application that can process transactions. And then when it comes to the devs, they're like, oh, the business wants me to like really process these requests <laughs> within this time. It's like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, but and, yeah. Then, and then th- they pass that on to the backend team. And the backend team says, oh, I have to build this API to expose this data. Yeah. And the front end team says, oh, the business wants me to consume this API. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's it just, just keeps passing along. And then, yeah, the, the DevOps team is just like, uh, hey, you want, we want your test to pass. <laughs> Everything's oh, waterfall. Such a hassle. <laughs> Everything's waterfall. Oh, no. Uh, next up, I have Site Reliability Engineer. A lot of these do overlap to some extent, but this is more focused on uh, runtime, monitoring, uh, alerting, those sorts of things. The reliability part. So it's are you maintaining the performance that you are agreeing to in your SLAs? Are you... Uh, if you have a recover, if you have a disaster, how are you going to recover from it? Have you tested it? Have, do you have a <laughs> recovery plan? Have you tested it? Uh, how do you know if something's going wrong? Do you have the alert set up? Do you have the monitoring set up? Are you making sure, as we discussed before, that you're monitoring enough but not excessively to the point that it becomes useless and noisy? And um, yeah, a lot of a lot of just I guess keeping the pulse on the actual running application. And at least the way that I tend to think of it is the application more so than like anything super specific it's like are are we still are the is the application still alive and how is it performing more so than is this particular table in the database performing a specific way it's a bit higher level and then you can dig into it if you need to but at least from what i've seen 
Yeah, it's more so just like, will people notice? Will customers notice? How, how much do we need to do? What is our recovery plan? If something does go wrong, that sort of stuff. Agree, disagree? Agree, yeah, yeah. SRE is just a very cursed role. Cursed, yeah. Yeah. It's the, it, yeah, you sign up for a big jump in pay to be woken up in the middle of the night. Yeah, and it's, I think their SREs really get screwed over is when they don't have visibility into the ops or the application side. So you really just get paged at 2 a.m. to go look at the servers and say, I don't know why it's taking 100% CPU. <laughs> I didn't write this. Yes. I yes. didn't build this 24XL <laughs> database. What is going on? Do I just reboot it? And a lot of times these SREs just have to follow like run books written by the dev team or the whatever ops team. Yeah. And they do it and they're like, well, this still doesn't work. Uh, so really it's just people who built the system uh, have offloaded the responsibility of, they're like, we just create. We don't maintain, we don't do any of the troubleshooting, we need to sleep. And then the SRE people are like, I guess we don't create anything, but if it catches on fire, <laughs> we're kind of screwed. Yeah. Um, and that's where I, I, I have this sort of hot take that there shouldn't be like, SREs should be DevOps, like there shouldn't uh -huh. be a distinction, because if you are putting out fire, you should know what the material is. Yeah. Uh, or you could make things worse uh, by following certain blind steps and then finger pointing starts happening because you're like I was just following the run book and now we have a large scale outage and now US East one is down and that happens uh, in real life uh, at certain companies that I may or may not speak of uh, yeah and then yeah then you're sort of yeah screwed because yeah you don't have the context so I feel like there should be just a larger team of ops and then the, they have the responsibility of doing the SRE work. Yeah, it's been a strict requirement for me of any company I've interviewed with of being like, so what's your on-call requirements? And I've just fully bailed on interviews where they're like, yes, we do an on-call rotation. I'm like, what was the compensation package again? <laughs> okay, no, I think I'm good. Uh, but it's one of the reasons, as I mentioned, that I really like working at uh, startups is that these roles are super blended for startups. And so, like, my primary responsibility right now is infrastructure. But if you look at, like, we do a, a confluence doc for each sprint. And for a few sprints now, it's just been, like, uh, you know, some sort of specific stuff for, in, uh, for infrastructure for me specifically. But then you can also just say, like, SRE work. And it's, like, uh, if the GitHub actions are breaking or if, like, the deploy scripts aren't or deploy actions aren't working, it's, like, at Nathan, uh, why, is this work, why is this broken? And so there's a lot of overlap between doing the DevOps, doing the infrastructure, doing the site reliability, but also I work at a company that almost nobody's using the application in the middle of the night. Nobody's too worried. Also, nothing really bad tends to happen in the middle of the night because there would need to be a lot of load on the system. So the worst thing that has happened was the database filled up, uh, but now we have a bunch of alerts on that uh, as, as a result of uh, SRE work. So yes. I agree. People who need to put out fires uh, need to know how to do it. Yes. <laughs> uh, next up, I've got this one I've seen listed a lot more, and this term in particular, I'll start with the term that's in, uh, in vogue right now, which is uh, platform engineering, but I had more generally internal tooling or developer productivity. I've seen a lot of, I've had companies reaching out on LinkedIn about developer productivity, uh, which is really interesting to me because it's like having customers, but you work with them instead of having to just have annoying customers. So you're building tools internally for 
the dev team or building a platform for the dev team or if you're using infrastructure as code you can implement um, policies or generic uh, like this is our pre-configured VPC and or EKS cluster with a VPC and all the best practices that we want and if you want to um, create a new one you use ours it's a stamped thing or like here's our AMIs we've already approved them and they're golden and they're good to go uh, or like here's the configuration for everyone's editor if you use this uh, if you use if everyone's using VS Code it'll automatically pick it up or you can run like I use um, dev containers uh, at work for my environment and VS Code picks that up automatically and so having these things pre-configured uh, making sure that like linting is working and everybody's basically unblocking the development team and providing useful internal tools or best practices or policies or standards and uh, making a quote-unquote platform for developers to build on. Yeah. Cool. I agree. Nice. So anyway, that exists. <laughs> product owner, domain expert. Uh, we have each of us have our favorite uh, ever product owner, oh. and so this is just someone typically who's more on the, uh, as the name suggests, expert side. Tend to not be, ideally, super technical. Tend to not have ideally too many opinions <laughs> on everything. But they are important for understanding the needs of the customers, for understanding the um, specifics of the business. If you're hypothetically uh, building an application for document processing related to mining, then you might need someone who knows a lot about documents and mining. Yeah, you so, do. Yeah, because uh, neither of us know anything about that. No. Uh, similarly is the product manager. Tends to be a bit more like managerial. Uh, as the name would suggest, I guess, uh, less so, less so than just like a point of contact. So they're gonna oversee the team, make sure that everybody's getting along, doing things, communicating responsibilities. Everything just becomes a business requirement. And lastly, I have Scrum Master. Put this one in because it's sort of a domain-specific one uh, for tech companies. And uh, I don't know. You can take a Scrum Master course if you want. Yeah, and then you can try to become a scrum master if you want, and maybe someone will pay you to do it. Uh, my hot take: uh, waste of time. Don't have a scrum master. Yeah, I see scrum master as a conflict resolver role. So if you have some other faults in your different teams, like project manager, product owners, or project managers, or I don't know, even the dev team not doing agreements on how things are or you have a problem where your meetings run amok all the time, um, I think a Scrum Master plays a good role there where they'll be like, guys, time check, or guys, something's not right here, because they're a facilitator. So if you're adults and you can facilitate yourself, great. If not, you need a Scrum Master. Yeah, so in theory, this is what a Scrum Master does. Uh, you're doing, quote unquote, capital A Agile, mm -hmm. uh, and you're following capital S Scrum, which means you're doing Scrum ceremonies which means you have to have someone to run these ceremonies uh, and that person is a scrum master and they're supposed to unblock the dev team and basically allow the devs to work so that they don't have to worry about communicating with uh, non-technical people and admittedly like you and I had a really good scrum master yeah. uh, kept me out of every meeting <laughs> which was excellent uh, any meeting possible 
and yeah that can be good but it's i think more just like um yeah greasing the gears of a clunky system and shouldn't be needed but hey if if, if you're gonna hire seven thousand five hundred people maybe some of them should be scrum masters and uh maybe some of them will get let go 175 to 80 percent of them are let go yeah um yeah at that point yeah become maybe become a product owner yeah 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 do, do something that delivers value Whoa, hot take. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm yeah. trying to trying to up the listens here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also one of those roles which are a lot like team specific. So yeah, product owner ideally would be focused on the product and it's big enough that you need a full fledged owner for it. Uh, but something like a scrum scrum master, they're stateless. You can deploy them <laughs> in any team uh, and they should be able to just perform their job uh, because yeah, which I guess in that case, you could realistically maybe replace it with a timer app or something. Yeah, um, I'm s- I'm, no, I'm forgetting though because I used to really value Scrum Masters, mm-hmm. but now I work at a team that's or a company that's basically all developers and they just leave each other alone. Like it's so nice. We have two meetings a week, uh, three if you count the one that we always skip, and that's our check-in. And every other Friday we have a company-wide meeting where we do some demos uh, but otherwise we we just do Tuesdays and Thursdays a half-hour scheduled meeting that becomes a 10-minute meeting where people give updates and nobody else listens to what those updates are and then we end the call and uh, it's excellent like everybody just communicates via slack or PR complaints and everybody is just kind of doing what needs to be done and leaving each other alone and um, yeah, there's a lot of just like specifics that people end up falling into. So as an example, we have someone who's basically, since he started, his entire job has just been ETL. And he loves ETL. Wow. He's doing ETL. He was doing ETL with a bunch of Spark stuff that we ended up not using because we ended up moving to Snowflake. And now he's doing a bunch of Snowflake Spark or Snowflake ETL stuff. And then he's working with like Azure, and nobody else has to care about Azure because he's the one that's figuring out how the Azure uh, APIs and things work. And you know, if he got hit by a bus, we have to start over. But at the same time, we have like eight people, so there's going to be a lot of just this lives in their head only sort of information. But that's how specific these things can be. So if you're thinking like, you know, none of these twelve roles or whatever that we talked about sound interesting to me. Uh, maybe you just end up being the ETL person. Who knows? Who knows? I don't. I don't want to be one. No? No. No, me neither. I did ETL work a little bit. And uh, <laughs> I half the reason we hired this person was because he said he was interested in doing ETL. And I pushed hard to make sure that he got hired. Because <laughs> there was some ETL work in my backlog that I did not want to do. It's not fun. And if you heard of AWS Glue? Yeah, that's what we're using. It's, okay, cool. It's uh, like 25% of our monthly cost right now. Ah, okay. Yeah, so we're trying to get rid of that. Oh. Yeah. The cost? The cost. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, we went through a big spike in cost. So basically, like, despite my best efforts, our solution from the C-suite was throw money at the problem when the things were getting unstable. And then uh, in the fall, so that was the summer. Basically, if you look at our cost graph, it peaked up through the summer, where it was like, oh my god, why is everything uns- like not very stable? Why are things faulty? Uh, why are things slow? 
And I'd be like, it's for all these reasons. They're like, just up it, just vertically scale. And uh, so we did that. We also horizontally scaled. And, uh, and then in the fall, they're like, whoa, how did our costs get so high? I was like, well, because you just to throw money at the problem. And so then now we're scaling it back down. Things are getting better. But uh, yeah, that meant that our costs went way up, and now we're trying to clean them up a bit. I mean, we were spending like 10, 15% of our total bill just on provisioned IOPS, and uh, it's too much. Wow. Yeah. It was probably like 25% at one point, but I already cut it in half, and it's still like 8%. So I, I don't know how high it got at one point. But. All yeah. right. Damn. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. Anyway, what'd you do better? There. Oh my god. Unless you have something else to say about roles. No, I was just going to say that's a good summary of the most roles, at least that in track with the technical side of things. Yeah. Uh, there's um, t so many other roles. Yeah, if you want to be if you want to be an iOS developer or you want to be an Android developer, you want to be a game developer, you want to build just a physics engine or you want to build just a TUI, which is like a terminal-based UI. Oh. If you want to... Uh, just play with a gyroscope on your phone and make it yell anytime you throw it in the air. These are things you can do. You can. Some of those are genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not a example from Dumb Ideas or whatever it was called. Uh, I think it's called Shitty Hackathon. Shitty Hackathon. <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things out there. We covered the ones that I thought of uh, off the top of my head earlier today based on companies I've worked at. Yeah. And uh, if you want, and if you don't, we probably might still do it. Uh, we might do some episodes on how to get to some of these roles. Yeah. Uh, some sort of a roadmap that'll go out of date by the time the episode comes out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Angular 2. Oh. Anyway, sorry, I should have <laughs> off, to, <laughs> off to bleep that out. Yeah. <laughs> Angular beep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what did I do better on? Yeah. Well, before you just left me all by myself, uh, yeah, away, went international, national traveling. Domestic traveling, Domestic. yeah. <laughs> Oof. Um, I said things I'll be doing better on is buy vitamin D yeah. and keep applying for jobs. Okay. Guess what? I've done both those things. Holy smokes, 100%? <laughs> 100% coverage. Oh. <laughs> Unlike my test suite. Uh, <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, I ended up just giving up. So I ordered it from Amazon again, and then the box again just didn't get delivered. I see. Someone's stealing, and the, the post office is involved, and um, there's a conspiracy here. Okay. And they're just stealing all the vitamin D boxes. Uh, so I just ended up doing the, the good old-fashioned way of, I went to the store to buy some pie, and I was like, oh, I should buy some vitamin D pills <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I went to the pharmacy section, looked at it. Bought it, got some grapes, got some pie, went home. Wow. Um, as one does. Yeah. It's, it's what's important. That's a success story right there. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, I've been, like, looking at more interviews, um, just talking to companies, chatting with them. The week where Amazon laid off 10,000 or a whole bunch of people, uh, fortunately, I was not one of them. AWS saw very little layoffs because it's their only business that makes money. Uh-huh. Uh, robotics apparently took a big hit. Um, what's, a lot of recruiters, HR and recruitment took a huge hit, uh, which I guess partially also because they've frozen hiring, yeah. so they have to let go of the people who do the hiring. Yes, makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I 
a lot of people actually complained in like the last year where they would just say I had five different recruiters reach out to me for one Amazon position yes so I'm sure that that's no longer going to happen great uh, <laughs> yeah and what else can't remember yeah a couple other teams got hit uh, IOT team I think got hit as well uh, but yeah and big s3 and stage stable software companies have not or products uh, but yeah let's hope um, but then you know Andy Jesse our loving CEO put out a statement saying we'll just continue doing this until Q1 23 so for the next four months no one really knows if they ha they'll have a job or not by the end of it so that's just great I think I think that's a good strategy if you just make the pain go for so long or make something that horrible happen over such a, an indeterminate amount of time people will just get numb to it and then they'll be like either it's gonna happen or not it's just life just laugh and you just move on <laughs> and um, yeah so that happened and yeah so I'm like alright I might as well keep uh, keep the interviews going yeah and uh, more or less been doing good at them so far, uh, except a few blips, uh, which I'm not a fan of. Um, but yeah, doing that and then yeah, then continuing to look over those. And then for doing better is I'm gonna continue looking at or like broadening my horizon. So far I've just been looking at the recruiters that's been uh, sliding in my DMs. Uh -huh. uh, but I'm gonna start looking at like wider tech roles and stuff it's also seems like not a great time to like actively interview just because because of so many layoffs the market is a lot more competitive now uh, so if you do have some sort of a stability of sense in your life maybe hold on to that um, but I don't know I haven't seen any crazy negative things about it but I did I, I did talk to this one company where I didn't like how they did their interviews mm -hmm. um, but before I could say that I didn't want to continue for their next steps they sent one saying we have an influx of applications and it doesn't seem like there's a quite good fit here and I was like yeah I agree but it's also interesting that yeah they probably have hundreds of if not thousands of like properly qualified candidates <laughs> applying um, yeah, and then I was like, all right, I'm gonna screw screw that. Not, I'm gonna stop thinking about that because in a few weeks I'm gonna be traveling. Uh, so my do better is to look more into the traveling because I'm going to a place I've never been before, and I should maybe look at the good things in life as opposed to the stressful things in life. Yeah. And pie. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What did you do better? Well, most notably, I said that I was going to try to be a good family member. Not because I thought before I was a particularly bad family member. It's just like over the next week, what's the thing I should do best? And it was, well, I'm going to be hanging out with my family, so I should focus on trying to be a good family member. Did and, you? How? What's the metric on that? How did you measure that success? Uh, well, I spent almost all of my time with my family, and uh, I, because I've been hanging out with so many Latin people, gave much better hugs mm -hmm. than in past years. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. I saw everybody, spent time with them. Uh, didn't just spend all my time on my laptop or anything. So I feel like it went pretty well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. At least that was my goal, and I'm I'm feeling like I accomplished it. It's a very subjective thing. Yeah. But uh, I, f I feel good about it. Cool. I said I was going to make some gym goals and or pick a training program. And so I decided I'm going to do a uh, strength block. And because I'm going to be... So I took a week off while I was visiting my family, and then 
I'm going to be taking another break when I go to Mexico. So I'm like, I don't even have that much time. So I thought, okay, let's just try to do the usual, like once every year or so, I'll just kind of get my numbers back up to baseline of where I think like these are reasonable numbers for me to hit for the power lift, so squat, bench, deadlift. I don't count overhead press because it's so bad. Uh, it doesn't exist in our real lift. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'll just focus on that. So I've, I've got a super basic program where I'm just basically gonna do like uh, one day a week, it'll be, or two, I guess two days a week, one will be squats and deadlifts, one will be um, bench, working up to um, something heavy and then doing some back off work and some stuff to just keep my joints happy. And then uh, other two days will be more like power, um, like power lifts, so not going up as heavy and just trying to move fast, but still something moderately heavy, and then doing higher rep back off work, and then usual just like pump work type things. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So anyway, should be fun. Just a few weeks, and then I'll have to take some time off anyway, and then it'll be the new year where I get to spend time with everybody else in Burnaby in the gym. Wow. Yeah. So that should be fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing I said I was going to do was have a lower media diet. Uh, actually, I don't think I, I this actually made it to the show. I think I missed it in my list. I had it on my list, but I, I think I forgot to mention it. Yeah, because I don't remember anything about this. Yeah, so basically I was just like, I was feeling the need to delete my social media apps again. I was like, okay, instead of doing that, let's just not spend much time on them. Uh, and so anytime I was listening to a podcast where I went, yeah, this is just people complaining about the usual like politics stuff. I'm just like, I don't need to listen to this and just close it. Or if people are talking about stuff that I'm like, I already know this. Or like, I've heard this conversation before. Uh, something familiar that isn't a conversation I've explicitly listened to, but it's the same topics being rehashed over and over again. I'm like, I'm just closing this. I don't, I don't care. Uh, and so, especially on these longer podcasts, a lot of things tend to get rehashed. So just abandoning things if they get too long. Um, not spending too much time. I deleted the uh, news feed from my phone again, so I can't swipe to the side and get my Google news feed. Uh, and this was explicitly because of, no matter how many times I said not interested in this, my phone was determined to send me every media outlet complaining about Elon Musk and Twitter. I was like, I just, I don't, I don't, you used to recommend good things, like things I, I was interested in, and now it's, it was like, four days, five days a week of just that. And I went, I'm done. So anyway, got rid of that. That has been nice. So, uh, oh, also I did, while I was on the plane, try to brainstorm some ideas for the dev blog. Came with a little bit of stuff, but like not nothing great. So I don't really have anything I want to take action on. But I'm still counting as like, that I did better, because I tried. <laughs> That's uh, all that matters, yeah. Well, kind of. <laughs> Uh, so I still need to go see the go to the Taekwondo club. I had a dream that I went to the Taekwondo club, and they wow. mocked me. It was a small, uh, small girl. She was probably like a teenager, and uh, she was just leading the class. But I was the only one in it. And she's like, "Are you sure you did Taekwondo?" I was just like, "What? Why are you so mean?" Uh, so I, had, I dreamt about it, but I didn't actually do it, and most because I wasn't here. I was in Ontario. All right, so do better. I need to go to the Taekwondo club, and this is the big one. And uh, we had this girl. No. Oh. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to track, I've already started this, just track my daily screen time across all devices. So not necessarily take any action on it, but my, okay. my theory has been for years, what gets measured gets managed. Like Without any goal of reducing it, 
I'm just going to track it and see what it is. So far, I've been surprised. I thought I was probably going to get 12 to like 14 hours, like something really bad. And it's been like nine. Across all, so this includes your laptop. Laptop, yeah. What about overlapping screen times when you're looking at your phone and laptop at the same time? Uh, well, in that case, like this podcast is going to mess it up because okay. I've got my laptop recording and I'm on my phone right now. Uh, but my phone has be- has been typically in the like under 30 minutes total uh, unless I watch a YouTube video. So if I go to the gym and watch a YouTube video while doing cardio or something, it'll be longer. But it's pretty low, especially without having um, the news on my phone anymore. I get super bored with Instagram immediately. I scroll for like a minute and go, ah, this is stupid. So like the top five posts and the top three stories are pretty much all I end up looking at and then I close it. So it's almost all WhatsApp and I can only check like my bank account so many times before I'm like, why do I keep opening this? Because uh, that's all I really have on my phone. So anyway, that's pretty low and I'm just going to see what it is for a week or so and then see how I feel about it because I want to make sure I'm not just spending my entire life staring at screens. And so, so far, I've been pleasantly surprised, but we'll see how it actually turns out. I need to do some more progress on, or I'm committed to doing some more progress on the interpreter uh, book. Mm -hmm. So keep working through that. Still having a lot of fun with it. And uh, that's it. Basically screen time and the interpreter. Keep Less screens, more reading. You're going back in time. Well, the it's an ebook, unfortunately. It's oh, a Kindle. Okay. But I need because I need to type anyway. Kindle's not a real screen. Doesn't count. I see. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I I forget what I was gonna say. Well. Yes. But that's not. Do you have anything else to add? No, that's crazy good. Uh, I might actually like try to follow you with the. Uh, Insta thing because what I did was I was like I'm spending too much time on my phone I'm gonna delete TikTok because I kept scrolling on it uh-huh. and now I spend a lot of time on Instagram watching reels and I'm like now I'm watching the content that was on TikTok two weeks ago this is not <laughs> good uh, so at many points throughout the day I like notice myself doing something I'm like why am I doing this and then I'll like close the phone yeah and it's getting like bad enough to a stage where I used to I used to have this thing where you know I like I'm like doing something or something's a bad pattern. And I would notice it, and then I would like look at the time or look at myself. I'm like, all right, at this time, I'm just going to stop this. And then I would do it. Yeah. Um, and anytime I start slipping on that, where it happens once, twice, and then before I know it, my work to myself means nothing because <laughs> I'm like, the guy who's setting these deadlines is full of shit, and you don't need to follow it. Uh-huh. Um, I need to stop that pattern. Uh, so I've gotten to a stage now where like the awareness kicks in a little quicker because it'll be small things. It'll be like, I am standing at the bus stop or I'm like cooking something and it's taking a little longer to boil so I'll like do the scroll and I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Why can't I just stand still and do nothing? Uh, And yeah, I think just recently my brain's been a lot more active on trying to figure out some uncertainty in life Uh um, because it got too comfortable over time. So now I need to get it back into comfort of just being like, no, it's okay. Discomfort is fine. Just (laughs) sit with it. Don't think so much. Uh, it got I like I noticed it was bad because this afternoon I was watching like a system design video while reading up something else and I was able to process the information it was fine I was reading it but I'm like this is not sustainable like I can't take in two streams of information or I shouldn't be because uh-huh. I'm clearly not like 100% paying attention but I, I get the gist 
uh, and that before I know it, they'll leak into conversations where people will be saying something, I'll be listening, I never look at my phone, but I'll start thinking about something else. And uh, brain is brain does that, and I don't want my brain to do that because I like being zen. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna go buy some more pie. Maybe uh, stop looking at my phone. I I don't want to right off the bat delete Instagram uh, because I feel like I still use it for a little bit more messenger and chatting with people and sharing memes is a love language. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. Try. I might do the same thing as you and like just track the screen time just on the phone. I don't think I, I want to do my laptop and I barely watch TV or play games these days, I guess, so. Yeah, the, at least on the Pixel, the screen time widget, just putting that on the phone is Ooh. smart. Uh, I, I just always have it, if I open my phone, it tells me, but it also tells me the top three apps. So like today, I have 45 minutes, but 15 of that was Google Keep because that's where I keep my podcast notes. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes of that was WhatsApp, and below that was 10 minutes of Instagram. I'm like, I'm fine with that. Those, yeah. are, those are okay numbers. Uh, it would be under 30 minutes if there hadn't been 15 spent in Google Keep. I haven't found like a good way of looking at it quickly um, on the computer, but I did enable the screen time in the notifications. So if I swipe over the notifications, it'll tell me how much I've spent for the day. Uh, but I was, I was kind of hoping I could have a permanent widget or something, but whatever. If I have to swipe over and see it, that's fine. Yeah. That's that. It's very cool. Yeah. I look forward to seeing you do better next week. Thank you. Yeah. If, uh, if you make it this far, I should say this at the beginning, uh, feel free to post somewhere. I don't know where they can post, but mm -hmm. uh, let us know what you're doing better. Yeah. I'd be curious. Yeah. I have go no on, idea who you are. Go into Spotify or Anchor and uh, respond to the poll. Oh, that's up. what I'll do. Maybe I'll just make every week the poll is, what are you doing better this week? Yeah. Or something like that. Just every week. It's on theme. Those, yeah. those could be the two recurring ones. What do you want us to talk about and what did you do better in life? Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Please interact with us. We're lonely. Not really, but please no, interact with us. We want to talk to you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I need more distractions in life so I can stay away from my phone and do other <laughs> things. <laughs> we need your help doing better. Yeah. It's the best way to find distractions. Replace it with another one. That's yeah. how addic addiction works, right? Correct. So. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.